From Editor-at-Large, this is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. I hope you'll join me. You're probably listening to this podcast because you love the design industry. It's full of great stories, personalities, beauty, and soul. It's also changing quickly and needs to evolve or risk being diminished. Our sponsor, Fuego, is building tools to protect and preserve it. Go to fuego.com boh and enter the code boh to get a free month of their project management software and join the conversation at fuego.com. And now, on with the show. My guest this week is Rob Royer, founder and CEO of Interior Define. Rob, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. I really appreciate it. So nice to have you here. I've actually been wanting to talk to you for some time, so I'm, I'm really glad to have you on. And normally, I would explain to people what Interior Define is, but I feel it's evolved from what people might have known it as in the beginning. So, sure. so tell us what it is today. Sure. Um, at kind of the highest level, Interior Define is a digitally native custom furniture brand uh, that started making customizable sofas. So we make sofas that are, you know, personalizable to uh, custom size, custom fabric, uh, custom cushion fill, um, custom leg, to really make it the product truly your own. And we, we started an interior define to address what we felt was a big, a big void in the space in terms of personalization and um, the ability to get a truly unique product at a really middle market price point. But that, to your point, it really has evolved over time where we would yeah. stay, say now that we're really an experience-driven brand um, that is addressing other categories in the home in addition to sofas. But okay. it's really about um, addressing the most important categories of furniture in your home and delivering a differentiated and more elevated customer experience. And that's really what we stand for. Okay. Okay, so it, so it's as much about the experience as it is about the, the product itself in, in many ways. It definitely is. I would say both in terms of our online experience and now what we've created in terms of our offline, uh, what we call our guide shop experiences, where right. we have four today. Um, we really think a lot about uh, what the customer um, sees in the brand, whether they're shopping with us online or off, and we've really designed everything we do uh, to really facilitate the most comfortable shopping experience possible, in our opinion. Okay. Okay. So I want to get into all of that because you, you, you do have a, a really interesting philosophy about customer experience and, and you do a lot to, to sort of help people along through the entire process. But I want to, I want to start at the very beginning. So, uh, so tell me, so I know you come from a, a family, father was an architect, mother was an interior designer, and then they're parents were architects and designers, right? Yeah, that, that's correct. Um, <clears throat> so I was originally, I was born in um, Kansas City. My family moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico when I was pretty young. And uh, yeah, my mom was an interior designer. My dad was uh, a trained architect, but a real estate developer. And that's why we moved to New Mexico. Okay. And I spent um, a lot of time with them when I was growing up in New Mexico, um, looking at the projects they were working on, whether it was sourcing furniture with my mom or actually uh, looking at the layouts of homes with my dad. Right. And and then my mom was often uh, designing the spaces my dad was building. So it was a really, uh, you know, fun experience and really in many ways inspired my my passion for design. And I think, uh, you know, I was much more engaged in that process than a lot of other kids my age. My, yeah. my parents would be designing their own home. And I had very strong opinions about the decisions they were making. And Did they, you? Had, they had very, That's you great. know, very good taste. But 
it wasn't perfectly in line with uh, kind of my more modern uh, aesthetic. So, okay. uh, but that's, that's really where I developed my passion for design through my family. And as you mentioned, my, my uh, grandmother on my dad's side was uh, an interior designer as well. And right. his dad was an architect as well. So it's really genetic for you, isn't it? You had to go into this industry. You know, interestingly, so I, I, I started my career in consumer marketing and uh, was always very interested in this, was always designing my own home and my own spaces uh, and even some of my friends' spaces at some times, uh, but, but didn't go into this as my career. And it was really after a really um, pivotal experience that I had working at a startup based here in New York uh, called Bonobos. It was a men's apparel startup. Right. That really inspired me to uh, start my own uh, concept in a, in a category that I was very excited about and where I thought there was just a huge opportunity. And that's when I started thinking about um, interior define and what we've ultimately built here. Okay. So I want to, I want to jump back to Bonobos in a minute, but you got a degree in integrated marketing. Is that right? That's right. So I went to graduate school at Northwestern. And so, and tell me what you learn when you get a degree in integrated marketing. I was really curious. Yeah. So that, that program is really focused on, um, you know, I think if you, if you talk to them, you'd get a lot of different definitions about what that means, but it's really about, uh, figuring out ways to establish more meaningful relationships with customers through multiple marketing channels, whether or not that's, you know, everything from paid advertising to building really strong word of mouth, um, you know, passionate customer bases based on the decisions you're making about your business and how you set up your strategy. Right. So I I would say it's, it's a very like customer centric approach to marketing on the whole. It's really thinking about not just, you know, how you talk to customers, but how you build a compelling brand. And so right. that, that's really what that program was about. And so I actually did that after my Bonobos experience. Right. Okay. So you were fortunate enough to to get a job very early on, right, at, at, at Bonobos. I mean, very early on in their life cycle. Yeah. So their their story, um, Andy and his, uh, his co-founder, Brian, started that when they were at Stanford Business School. And, right. and Andy is my brother-in-law. And, right. Andy, uh, Andy Dunn, Andy who's Dunn, a co-founder exactly. of, of Bonobos, right? Okay. And, uh, you know, was able to see what they were building really early on. And it was really cool. I mean, no one was doing what they were doing in the same way at the time. People weren't thinking about building brands online first. People were thinking about selling online, certainly, but not really about building an entire brand and that experience and starting from the ground up online. And Bonobos was really a pioneer, uh, and Andy was really a pioneer in that space. And um, I was fortunate enough, he knew uh, at the time I was working for a a company in consumer marketing, wasn't exceptionally passionate about what I was doing. And uh, he was like, why don't you come join me? Like, we need marketing support. I need support in general. Um, I'd love if, if you came and joined me. And so I did. And at the time it was, you know, less than a handful of people at the right. business. We were actually at an office in Union Square, not, not too far away from here, which oh, was okay. Andy's apartment. <laughs> it was <laughs> his kitchen and his bedroom were basically the, the warehouse and uh, office of the business and uh, was there for about a year and a half. Um, so it was a, a really phenomenal experience. So it was a phenomenal training ground for you. It was. And, and Andy's uh, remains uh, a mentor of mine. Um, he he uh, was on our board for you know almost three years. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's just been really exciting to watch what he's built yeah. and the unique way in which he's done it. And Andy also happens to be just one of the most kind of... Uh, most natural leaders you'll ever meet. So he's built this really incredible um, culture in their business as well. So it's been, I would say, invaluable to kind of witness 
what they've done and how they've done it. Yes, that's interesting. And and you and I are going to talk in a little bit about culture because uh, we were, we were chatting uh, offline about what what seems like a, a really strong culture that you've built in internally, and and it's 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 quite impressive. And I, w- I want to get back to that. So so you you spent some time at Bonobos. You 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 really uh, learned a great deal leadership, marketing, and 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 sort of an online only brand at, at first. And so so then you got the marketing degree yes you got deeper into that got into that um right after that i I took a job at an advertising agency based in chicago and was working on um global crm strategy for uh uh, a large automotive client uh, for uh a couple of years and i was actually thinking about this concept all the while in the background um actually purchased the url to interior define in 2008, when I was still working at Bonobos, when I started thinking about how how could someone apply the same thinking and, and this right. uh, this really considerate uh, consumer first uh, you know strategy to a category that again I was much more passionate about and where I saw as a consumer and as somebody just passionate about uh, you know furniture and design this incredible opportunity to to fill a void um, with uh, what was at the time. A lot of middle market brands, um, you know, selling very similar designs to the same consumer. You could mm-hmm. go to three of kind of the um, the brands you would think of in the middle right. of the market, and you would find very similar product, very similar fabrics. When there was customization options uh, available, they were uh, not easy to navigate, and mm-hmm. often increased the price and the lead time dramatically. Right. Um, and then if you went to the design district brands, where I think there was a lot more compelling design and more customization, the price point just quickly became, you know, um, beyond what most people were willing to budget for for their living room. And so, I really wanted to focus more on that middle market space. But that's okay. when I started thinking about this concept, and really. Uh, to the point that we're now more of an experienced brand, that right. was really the whole impetus for what we're doing. It was really thinking about experience and product experience first, okay. and then ultimately like how we built that into everything we do. So that, that was in 2008, bought the URL, went to uh, graduate school, was working at this uh, other concept, and right. that's when I met uh, an individual who had started a supply chain um, for furniture out of Asia, okay. and, uh, and really thought, we would be well positioned to build uh, this brand that I had a vision for and this experience I had a vision for in furniture on top of uh, an existing supply chain or at least like, you know, at least it would be a great uh, initial start. Okay. And, uh, you know, so we ultimately ended up partnering in the early days and uh, I left my position. This is in 2012 and started working on the brand. Um, and ultimately, you know, discovered that the supply chain that, you know, we had partnered with was not perfect for what we wanted to accomplish. Okay. And learned that we needed to build something different. Um, and so had, had learned that after uh, a moment in time where I'd left my position, like it was really like all in on this right. concept. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the smoothest uh, process in the early days. Uh, um, you know, that partner, you know, uh, and I had a, a good relationship in the end. So I think everything, um, you know, w- we built ultimately, um, a great brand, but I basically had to get really up to speed on supply chain very quickly when right. I didn't think 
And that, I would have to do that. No. That, that <laughs> wasn't where your focus was originally, and you were, you were hoping that someone else was going to manage all of that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, um, <clears throat> had this very clear vision for a big, compelling, experiential brand and furniture, um, but frankly, did no supply chain. It was not part of my right. you know, professional or personal background. Okay. And so was really getting into the weeds on that for the very first time, and then ultimately had to get very deep in the weeds on that. And we basically spent a year building a new supply chain. So we ultimately launched the brand in early 2014. Okay. Uh, and then shortly after that, opened up our first physical guide shop location, also in Chicago. Okay. Um, but uh, have spent a lot of time abroad and, and building relationships with um, who are now our, our core factory partners during right. that time frame. Okay. So, so back me up a little bit. So, and, and I love that 2008, you had already sort of registered the, the brand and you knew that that's what you wanted. And, and Interior Define, how did you land on that and that name? Because it's a great name. So it, to me, it was really about um, when you think about the voids in the space and you think about the, the level of personalization that I felt like was missing from the middle market and that right. whole experience. It was really about, I mean, most literally defining your, your home and your space, but it was really about your identification um, with your aesthetic and with your home and with, you know, the layout of your space. So we very intentionally um, started with the sofa category because, you know, it was my belief that that is one of the most important purchases you will make for your home because right. it really defines how you interact with friends and family and really you build your entire space around that that one product in many mm -hmm. ways like that that dictates how you set up your living room and what other key furniture decisions you make in that space and so uh, interior defined to me really represented that concept and okay. then id which a lot of people refer to us by now okay. as well right. is really more about you know uh, how you personally identify with that space okay Okay, so so all of this was sort of bubbling up for you in your in your head when back in two thousand and eight, two thousand and twelve. You you meet this fellow who's going to help you with the supply chain. You you get into it. Turns out it's not really the right supply chain for making custom sofas in the way you want it to. Right. So then suddenly, you're going off to China and spending a bunch more time there than you than you thought you were going to be. Yeah, that's right. It was uh, it was unexpected actually you know, in, enjoy, uh, that, that side of the business. Okay. And I just wasn't exposed to it at all before I started working on this. Um, but really enjoy, you know, spending time in, in factories. I think it's pretty fascinating and to, to spend time with the people, you know, hand building in these products. Um, we've actually developed, I, I would say really phenomenal relationships with, uh, our, our core factory partners. Okay. Um, we have more than one today. Um, but but understand everything it takes to build our pieces, and right. we really are partners because we we really design our process in a way that uh, works best for both of us. Um, mm -hmm. Because what we're doing in terms of customization in this part of the world is surprisingly unique. Like most manufacturers in this part of the world are not doing custom uh, built furniture. It's just not. So it's more an assembly line kind of process normally, <laughs> Com completely. right? Completely. Okay. And the, the landscape has changed a lot even over the last, you know, four or five years. And so, um, we're, we're better positioned to do this now than we ever have been. But okay. in the early days, just to work with a brand who was not committing to, you know, a hundred or a thousand containers of a single design right. was difficult. Um, it took a lot of convincing and, and I'm uh, sure. sharing vision and talking about the U S market and why this makes sense and why, you know, you should partner with us and take this risk when for them it was very small, uh, you know, 
opportunity at the time. So. Yeah, I mean, I would think for them it would sound like it was going to be incredibly time-consuming. They were just going to be making sort of one piece, potentially very different specifications than the next piece coming along. You you probably had to, to, to really sell them on this whole concept, and you don't speak Chinese. So yeah, so that was, that was a bit of a... <laughs> you made that happen. <laughs> yeah, so we, we developed some really great partnerships over there um, early. Okay. Um, um, it took a lot of vetting and a lot of uh, different meetings to ultimately make that happen, okay. but partnered with uh, a person who essentially uh, is an agent type of relationship who knew the landscape really well, uh, was a trusted partner in the early days. We've actually started working with a, a different firm uh, over the past couple of years, but uh, ultimately made some introductions to uh, the really small number of partners who would have been you know, well-positioned to do this with us, even okay. though they took a lot of convincing to do it. And, and then we were able to, to develop relationships. And then once they saw that, you know, we were real, like we could actually market uh, this concept and, right. and move a lot of volume through their supply chain, they started building more unique experiences or more unique uh, manufacturing processes for us. So now okay. we essentially have our own sort of side of the factory. Um, so while we don't, uh, you know, we're about as vertically integrated as you can be without um, owning the facility itself. Right. Okay. Okay, so 2013, then you you start to to raise some some seed capital, right? Correct. And, and was that originally off of the the first sort of supply chain model that you thought you had in place? It, it was it was originally. Okay. So um, originally went out and and you know talked about this this vision for the brand and talked about the existing supply chain capabilities, and then once you know we got into the weeds on that and figured out that we were going to have to adapt that model. Um, you know, there were some difficult conversations in the early days because we needed a longer runway to yeah. do that. And so, um, fortunately, you know, the investor base, many of which were friends and family in the early days right. or connections to, um, other, uh, you know, people I knew professionally, uh, most were very supportive okay. and kind of understood what we had to do and understood right. that startups, um, sometimes take longer than, <laughs> than sure. is proposed. Uh, but, but fortunately, I just had a great set of partners uh, involved in, in the brand. And some of those are actually uh, still board members today. Like one of our earliest investors um, has been incredibly supportive and uh, continues to be so. So um, I was going we to were say, lucky from that yeah, perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely noticed. And, and so fast forward, you, you just a couple of months ago got, got a, a Series B funding round, right? Which I, I think was your largest funding round yet. It was, yeah. We, we closed um, uh, Series B in uh, essentially January of this year, okay. um, which, you know, it, it's interesting. Fundraising um, is both, you know, we're obviously very excited about what the signals for the business and that right. other people are excited about the traction that, sure. that we're making. It's also, you know, a little nerve-wracking every time you raise capital because <laughs> expectations for both, you know, the management team, the executive team, as well as, you know, the brand of the whole increase is, you know, exponentially every time that happens. But um, we've continued to stay focused on finding the right partners and have been, I think, a combination of selective and just very lucky to get the people we have um, who are our investment partners today. So ju- so jumping back to uh, to brother-in-law, Andy, Andy Dunn. So sure. he was an early seed investor, right? Pretty much the first investor in the business, <laughs> okay. uh, the first board That's member great. in the business. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a really 
really unique advantage from a couple of different angles. One, just, uh, you know, his involvement and doing, knowing the space so well, not furniture specifically, but digitally native brands so well. And then, you know, obviously incredibly well connected in this space too. Um, and I would say in the early days that was, that was very helpful. Right. Um, over time, you know, that becomes, it's really about the traction of the business and what we're actually doing. Um, so it it was still selling the vision and convincing people that, you know, we were the right team to do it. And, right. and particularly when you bring in, uh, uh, you know, institutional investors, uh, those relationships mean less. It's really yeah. about like, are, yes. you the, are you the people to do it? And then fortunately, we found people who strongly believe that, that we are. Right. Okay. So in, so in the early days when you were starting to get the, the non-friends and family investors, what were you telling people was the potential for the for the brand? What what were you telling them this would grow to become? So it's interesting. The the, the digital um, lifestyle brand landscape has evolved a lot since we started doing this. I mean, now there are brands and a number of different, uh, pretty much every consumer category who right. are. Uh, focusing on the same approach to a better experience and to a direct consumer, you know, digital first, uh, model now. But in, in the early days, there were a couple doing this too, um, in a meaningful way. And really the vision that we were selling is, you know, the consumer landscape is changing so incredibly quickly. And when you look specifically in furniture, you know, we were talking about the voids that I was talking about earlier in our conversation, but, but also when you look in furniture and see who are the biggest players in the space, there's a lot of commonality between those top players. Uh, yes. Many of them are heavily invested in large physical retail locations. Right. Um, many of them are highly value oriented. Um, so they're selling, you know, inexpensive product, but not really focused on quality or customization to any degree or uniqueness and aesthetic for that matter. And then uh, they are not connected to the new consumer. And, and so by new consumer, we're not just talking about, you know, younger millennials who are coming into their higher income earning years. But we're talking about just the mind frame of somebody who cares a lot about uh, understanding the authenticity of a brand right. and understanding that their proposition is real and not just, uh, you know, a marketing ploy. And so that uh, that created a lot of white space. And that's what we presented to our investors. We said, you know, listen, nobody has built an incredibly compelling direct-to-consumer uh, furniture brand, specifically focused on sofas to begin with, right. that is delivering this really elevated level of customer experience, but honestly providing a value proposition. And it's kind of amazing nobody's doing it because this market is so massive. Um, it's one of the biggest consumer markets in the world, certainly in the U.S., yeah. and nobody was tackling that in a really interesting digital-first way. And so that is the brand proposition we were selling to investors. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of um, sort of visual evidence to, to, to prove that we knew what we were talking about in terms of design aesthetic and, uh, you know, understanding the market really well in terms of what uh, the other players were doing. Right. And we were fortunate enough to, to convince people that we were able to do this. So speaking of design aesthetic, so where was that coming from? So, so I mean, I know that you've got this design pedigree. It's, sure. it's, it's part of your DNA. Sure. But, but who was designing these, these sofa models in the, in the early days? Yeah, so in the earliest days, <laughs> it was me working with it was. Um, our factory partners. And, okay. and, and not the way that it should ultimately uh, be done. It was really 
walking them through inspiration and, and talking about dimensions and proportionality and uh, cushion sit and feel and doing right. this all while I was still being initiated into what furniture manufacturing is really all about. So yeah. it was a long process and very, yes. very iterative process. Okay. Um, okay. But over time we have uh, worked with an industrial designer who was initially a freelance partner of ours okay. and is now a full-time team member of ours. Uh, who's just an, a very, very talented designer. Her name's Diana, and she's been um, really helpful in, in translating our vision to product and also bringing new visions to the table. Okay, okay. And so, and and then along the way, you've also had some great partnerships. Um, you know, you and I were talking recently about Maxwell Ryan, for example, from Apartment Therapy, uh, who, who sure. when I was interviewing, he, he mentioned you and he mentioned his, his Maxwell sofa that he yeah. has with you. And, yeah. Uh, and I know that he's he's got Ms. Chesterfield mm-hmm. now, and, right. right? So he's got several different models with you, and that seems to have done really well. So in um, 2014, not too long after we launched in, in okay. our first year, we did our first design collaboration, and it was pretty experimental. We didn't really know what we were doing in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, so we partnered with uh, an editorial uh brand based in Chicago called The Every Girl. And Danielle and Elena, the co-founders of that brand, uh, we had met and we had talked about the potential of doing this. And we decided to to experiment and design their first collection, which was called Rose. Um, And it was... So we had a very defined core design aesthetic at the time, which Mm -hmm. leaned pretty modern um, and really the clean-lined pieces. And they came to the table with an English roll-arm sofa as, as the design they wanted to do. And at first, there was some, you know, conversation internally, like, is this, should we do this? Is this right. what we're going to do? Will this be confusing from the consumer's perspective to introduce this type of design? Um, but we ultimately determined that collaborations gave us, gave us this really unique opportunity to test um, or kind of expand our our thinking on design aesthetic and see how that went and we did that and it went exceptionally well it was really well received by both their audience and other people coming to our brand and so we expanded on that ultimately we we did a second collection with them called caitlin which did uh even better than the first um and then uh during that same time frame in early 2014 i met maxwell Okay. And uh, Maxwell initially, uh, a, a PR um, representative we were working with in the early days, had inter- introduced us, and I had a meeting with him and really enjoyed it. And he later in- uh, invited me to do a maker's talk at Apartment Therapy. And uh, that was a really, like looking back, a really important time for our brand because okay. that exposure, first to the maker's talk, and then later Apartment Therapy published an article called The Future of Furniture, and it featured four brands that were all kind of disrupting oh, their okay. uh, their respective categories in home. And those were really like pivotal moments in our brand in terms of building awareness uh, that I believe later turned into bigger, uh, you know, media opportunities with right. other, other channels as well. And so uh, we approached Maxwell, I would say, in early, or I guess, yeah, early to mid-2015 and okay. started talking about this concept. And Maxwell, as you probably know, after speaking with him, uh, is a really talented designer in his own right. Um, Absolutely. Beyond building what he's built, which is very impressive with apartment therapy in the kitchen. 
And so uh, Maxwell was very involved in that process and came to the table with the first collection, which we named Maxwell. Right. And again, it was a little bit outside of our core aesthetic. It was uh, a roll arm sofa mm-hmm. as well. It uh, it was, although uh, in some ways more traditional, it was very modern in terms of proportion. Right. It was a deep sofa. It was low to the ground. Um, and what we learned earlier with the every girl is that if we merchandise it in a very consistent way with our more modern pieces that it ultimately feels like it's part of the brand anyway um so that we can overcome that potential disconnect with aesthetic and we launched uh his maxwell collection and it went exceptionally well um that's what he said he was he was pretty excited about it yeah Yeah. he's been uh just a, a great partner to our brand, um, both in terms of that early, you know, uh, awareness that he helped us build as well as that partnership and the awareness through his collaboration. So we launched a second called Miss Chesterfield with right. him in 2017. Okay. And that has done, uh, even better even than better. the first. So, um, that's been an important part of our strategy. I th- we will do additional collaborations over time. Uh, right. We don't have any to announce today but okay. uh you know we have a pretty good sense now of what makes a good partner and mm-hmm. so we have had a lot of conversations over time but we now have the ability to be a little bit more um thoughtful about the strategy behind those collaborations but we were lucky to to do two really compelling ones early on um we'd also done one in the very early days with um Alice and victoria who uh, oh, had an okay. HGTV um, series and actually does now again a uh, chair that's still in our line also. Right. So. Okay. Well, and as you say, it, it, it helped to sort of pull you out of your own aesthetic a, a little bit and, and maybe challenged your, your capabilities and that was all probably a good thing? It, it definitely was and they're all still in our assortment today. So um, representative of how well those individual designs have done for us. Right. So... so the guide shop. So was guide shops, was that a term that came from Bonobos originally? It is. Okay. Um, yeah. So Andy coined that term initially okay. and uh, was very supportive, was actually encouraging of, uh, you know, you incorporating close that brands okay. adopting that. So uh-huh. it, it built this common kind of nomenclature around what that means. Um, and so we, we launched our first, which was essentially like our first office and guide right. shop in Wicker Park in Chicago. And it was you know, looking back, it was one of the few spaces we could have afforded at the time on the you know street level in Chicago in a, right. in a relatively well-known uh, retail corridor. But we were in the kind of most camouflaged location you could possibly be in in that neighborhood. We were okay. directly underneath the L tracks. Oh. Um, even if somebody knew where they were coming, it was difficult to find us in many ways. Right. But okay. that was a really invaluable experience for us because we learned a ton about... Um, our customer and we learned a lot about what people actually thought about the level of customization we were offering and the design aesthetic we were offering. Right. And it, it really helped validate our, our thesis around what this brand could become. We would sit in the office it was actually a team of just three to four in the first like six months. Okay. And so we would be the salespeople as well as, you know, running the marketing in the back, <laughs> back of the office. I think that's so great. I mean, what, as you say, what better set of training and experience could you have than really dealing with the customer, hearing the questions they were asking? It, it was, it was, it was invaluable. Yeah. It, we really glad we did it that way. We okay. didn't, we didn't have options. <laughs> right. There was no choice, but to <laughs> at do it the time, but, but so how many models did I you have, have on the floor different. at the, at the time? Do you remember? Uh, we had probably... 
12 of our designs okay. on the floor. It was okay. a relative, all of our spaces are relatively small for right. furniture. It, um, it's, you know, our sweet spot is about 2,400 square feet. Okay. Uh, our guide shop we're about to open in San Francisco is a little bit larger. It's about 3,000 square feet. But generally speaking, it's about the customization experience when you walk in. And in the early days, we had merchandised our pieces with uh, accessories from other brands that we okay. weren't selling. But we oh. thought... You know, we should really make this look like a home. It'll be easier for somebody to visualize what this would be or envision what this would be like in their space. And we learned that was not a good strategy because people would come in and be confused about what we stood for, what products we sold. Uh, It was distracting from our customization thesis. And so we moved our guide shop in 2015 to Lincoln Park in Chicago to a much more prominent location. And now have uh, a merchandising approach that very clearly outlines what we stand for. It's really about the the sofa and the upholstery product being the hero category. Right. And then we have a lot of uh, branding on the walls that helps support how much customization we can do. Large fabric swatches, a custom leg wall. Uh, we have some digital um, opportunities in the store where you can customize your product and visualize what that looks like in, in 3D. Right. Um, and we, we've we've definitely evolved that approach uh, meaningfully since those early days, but we would never have known that was the wrong decision had we not kind of witnessed it <laughs> firsthand in the early days. And and how great that you could experience it then when you were small, right, and get, get that learning out of the way. Sure. So now you've got guide shops in L.A., you're about to open in San Francisco, you're in Soho here in New York. Uh, which is a great shop. I was I was there this weekend, as yeah. I mentioned to you. Thanks. Uh, and it was a, and it was a great experience. So you really got to understand the the brand. And um, shout out to Emily, who kindly spent time with yeah. me um, and really sort of took me through. And there's also now there's other product that's coming into the mix. Some of which is on the floor. Some of which is yeah. on the site. Yeah, there is. Um, Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, just to, to back up quickly. So your point around uh, the experience uh, and, and meeting with Emily, which uh, who does a fantastic job. I mean, I think you hit on one of the most important sort of differentiators of our brand is that we have uh, brought together a team of really passionate, really intelligent individuals who uh, hold the hand of our customers through this process and teach them about you know, why we exist, what we stand for when you walk in the door. So it's not just about the branding on the wall or the digital experiences. It's really about that human connection when you walk in. Right. And we've translated that experience to our online experience as well. So we, if, if you navigate our website, there will be multiple opportunities where you can engage with a human and, and we really encourage that. So kind of regardless of where you're shopping, we, we want to have and make that human connection. And so our, our design specialist team, I would say is the best in the in, in the business really yeah. like the best in the middle of the market who are who are delivering this really exceptional elevated customer experience to people who are shopping at really squarely a middle market price point but getting this highly customizable high quality you know piece um, right so so let's stay with that for for a minute so first of all so what so what is a average selling price roughly so people get an idea so our uh, a fully customizable sofa um Starts uh, at a thousand dollars, including white glove delivery and our three hundred sixty-five day return policy. Um, that's all included in the price. All included. Um, so that is uh, that's the starting price point, and then okay. it goes up from there. So that that is for like an apartment-sized sofa in our Sloan collection. Okay. Um, 
a chaise sectional would range anywhere from $1,800 to, you know, call it $2,500. Right. Again, including that white glove delivery, which includes setup and, you know, unboxing, uh, as well as the return policy. So uh, really competitive price point um, right. for, for what you're getting in terms of both experience and, and product, ultimately. Absolutely. So clearly there's a huge focus on customer experience. And uh, while I was in the guide shop, people were using terms like the, the customer journey and, 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 very, and very focused on the, on the whole experience and, and sort of shepherding people along because one of the, one of the f- features of, of making the sofas over in China, right, is there's a, there's a lead time. What, what do you normally quote for, for lead time? So our lead time averages between eight to 12 weeks. Okay. And, and we very um, much, you know, own that and communicate right. that clearly. Um, you know, it depends on where you are in the country and the time of the year. But in uh, 2017, it was closer to about nine weeks on average or a okay. little under that. Um, we really take advantage of that time. So uh, two things on lead time. One, we find that our customer base is um, we're educating people at times about what custom furniture, you know, means. Um, I think right. if they compared us to equivalent customization options it's actually uh while that sounds like a really long time it's actually quite fast for custom furniture uh but in addition to that you know our customers are are many times making uh, a life change that requires them to update their space whether they're moving in with a significant other or moving to a new home etc so oftentimes they have some lead time to to spend um uh, to wait for that product as well And we further take advantage of that time by really trying to build a relationship with the customer while the products in manufacturing and, and being shipped. So we reach out with a series of uh, emails to let you know what the status of your product is. We send about seven between the time you place the order and the time it's delivered. Right. So you're really informed about what's what's happening. We're actually working on some technology right now that's going to make that experience, I think, even richer and more um even more compelling for mm-hmm. our customers okay. uh, to kind of always give them that information kind of wherever they, they need it. Um, but, but we, you know, obviously in a, in a perfect world, if we could manufacture a custom sofa in a day and have this uh, brand proposition, that would be compelling too. But we really find that our, our customers are, um, you know, excited about what we're offering and yeah. generally very willing to, to wait that period of time. Yes, and that's actually I, I I think it's so interesting because we're in a time right now and the the high-end interior design industry is really wrestling with this especially we're being told that the customer no longer wants to wait. We're being told that sure. we're, we're we're not moving things along quickly enough. So much of the high-end is is custom and Again, to me, eight to twelve weeks doesn't sound like a very long time for a custom sofa or a custom bed or anything like that. And having spent a great deal of time in the custom furniture world myself, I know that the truth is often the customer tells you they want it as quickly as possible, but really they're not even ready for it sure. when you've rushed that piece through. And so I'm I'm sure that you're finding that as well that when the nine weeks comes and you call them up to say, hey, great news, your sofa's here, many of them are not even ready to take delivery, right? It happens uh, a lot more than we would have ever expected, yes. where uh, even after that, that lead time, um, you know, somebody is just not ready. Their, their home's not built or right. uh, their lease fell through and they're, they're contemplating, you know, bringing it into their current place or getting a new, new place. So 
it actually is a pretty common occurrence that somebody's not able to receive yes. the order uh, within that lead time. So I think that's a great, great point. Yes. And I'm glad that you're, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're working on ways to cut the lead time, but I, I, I love that you're able to bring that customer along. They see the value of what you're offering and they get it. It's, listen, it's being made for you by hand in China, you know, with your own fabric and with your own customization. And that's how long it takes. And that time is going to fly by. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And I, I feel like the trade industry in general needs to, they're, they're feeling so much pressure. We are feeling so much pressure to respond to this to this Amazon phenomenon and the, the two-day delivery or the darn it, the that-day delivery from Amazon, sure. right? Sure. And everybody thinks that that's how we have to operate, but you can't possibly. You're not going to make a great sofa with kiln-dried wood and high-pressurized foam and everything else. You just can't do that that quickly, and you, and you don't want it if it's made that quickly, right? Yeah, I mean, we couldn't agree more. Um, I mean, that's really what given we stand for such a highly personalized uh, product and experience, it's really about, you know, how do you create this really uh, unique piece of furniture that uh, is unique to not only your home, but to you as an individual. And so that has really been the filter for how we think about category expansion too, because it really needs to be an important product category for the consumer where, Customization truly makes a difference. That, that enhances the experience. Right. And where, um, you know, it's such an important piece of furniture and so considered that you are willing to wait a little time for this custom experience. And so with that thesis in mind, we, we expanded to customizable bed frames in 2017. Right, okay. Because we felt that, much like a sofa, that was such an important piece of furniture in your home. And uh, it a custom bed frame can really change the aesthetic and the feel of your bedroom, which is clearly a place you spend a lot of time. Sure. And so not uh, enough time in my case, but yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, so we, we, we launched on 2017 and in some ways it was a little bit experimental. We didn't know how that would go. We very intentionally built the brand around the sofa category in the early days, but it went much better than we had, had expected. And so that really laid the groundwork for what is now going to be our third category extension into dining, which we're launching officially tomorrow. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Breaking. Yeah. So uh, the dining collection is, uh, you know, in our opinion, really compelling. Another category where uh, it's difficult to find uh, highly custom pieces in the middle of the market anywhere right. close to this price point. Uh, and then the customization experience itself we have built with our kind of technology first approach. So if you go to our website, uh, much like our sofas, you can visualize all the customization options in 360 degrees and 3D. Yes. There are literally thousands of customization uh, combinations available, but we think presented in a very, uh, you know, easy, easily navigatable way. Um, so our custom ta- the tabletops are customizable by finish. The legs are customizable by a material and finish. Right. Uh, and then we have three dining chairs um, that will go with these multiple table configurations and customization combinations that are available in all of our fabric options, different leg bases, different finishes. So in whole, you can visualize all of that on the website. And yes. I don't think I've even come close to seeing all the possible combinations in, in the collection. But we've also added them to our augmented reality um, app that we launched a couple of months ago. Right. And so you can actually visualize them in your home through that application as well to see what the aesthetic would look like and the customization options. So we're very excited about that category, but truly a category where we think 
customization and our personalized experience overall will make a very big difference. Right. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, but we'll be right back. To stand out in this crowded industry, you need more than a love of design. You need strategy, sales, marketing, and other things they don't teach you in design school. This episode is brought to you by Fuego, whose mission is to empower the design trade. Fuego believes that business and art can and must coexist, and they've built a platform to make that happen. Learn more at Fuego.com. And now, back to the show. So I've, I've spent some time on the, on the site, and the, and the images around the new dining collection are really impressive. And it, it, Thanks. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you, can, you can swap out the leg finishes, as you said. You can 360-degree turn and see everything. So how many dining chairs are you launching initially? Uh, we will have three chair designs we'll launch uh, with initially. Um, okay. Audrey, Kit, and uh, Hannah. Okay. And then um, for the table, we have one core table design called uh, Haze, but it's available in multiple configurations, square, rectangular, and uh, round, and multiple sizes each, uh, and then all of the finish options on top of that. Right. Okay. And so one of the things that we should point out so because you're all custom you're not carrying any inventory is that also the case with the with the dining tables and the dining chairs are you feeling like that's all going to be custom as well it will be it will okay. all be custom um we uh have a i would call it a very limited amount of inventory um, okay. in los angeles at any given time um that uh we don't market at all um it's really for uh you know very specific uh use cases and needs um okay. so you know, it's our belief that the customization process adds so much to the overall experience. And we really have witnessed people being so much more emotionally connected to their furniture when they're able to have a hand in the design and people just feeling better about um, the whole purchase and the experience. So right. we really try to encourage that as much as possible. Uh, but but not having inventory um, has really enabled us to offer, you know, what we do at our price point um, because we don't have to shoulder you know, a massive warehouse in every suburban market um, no, or a distribution center. And that, that's really the, the key to what we do in terms of, um, you know, the value proposition. So, so let's talk a little bit about your, about your team because you've, you've, hired, you've hired some really good people. Um, I know that your, your trade program, so, uh, so like many companies that start off as a consumer-facing brand, right, trade has come into your world again because you have this compelling value proposition. And as I think you've said in the past, at first they were using you for the sort of secondary space or, or a guest room, but now right. you've moved front and center and, and you're part of the, the main living room and, and designers are, are, are coming to you in, in big enough numbers that you're hiring very specific trade people. I, I know you brought Lydia along from, from Holly Hunt, right, right. to, to exactly. head up the trade program. Exactly right. So uh, in, in the early days, I wasn't actually sure how well – so that, that, that industry is changing so quickly just like everything else. Um, yes. But in the early days, we didn't know how well our proposition would resonate with the design community because – in the traditional approach, um, you know, you're buying from the design district, and you're buying at a designer price, and that's that's part of your, uh, that's part of the way you make you know your living is right. is buying from those brands, and that has changed really quickly. I think. I mean, there's still um, designers who work on that model uh, who are serving kind of a more traditional client, 
But what we saw initially in the early days was some of the new online design platforms really resonating with our proposition because they're serving a very similar consumer who mm, is okay. uh, really falls under that category of new consumer um, who is smart about you know how they design their space, but is you know at times more budget conscious. Right, and so uh, you know. Uh, there's a couple of uh, core partners we have in that space, including okay. uh, Havenly and Home Polish, who have just been great partners. Right, that makes and, sense. And okay. um, and that resonated so well with that. So that really started growing um, that category for us in many ways. We still had some traditional interior design clients as well, but we saw this interesting behavior as the category has changed, where the clients were introducing us to their designers and that's actually how we were building awareness in that category Mm. rather than us proactively going out in the early days and and building those relationships just because we didn't have the team to support that Um, sure but now we do clearly see the opportunity in that category or that channel and so to your point yeah we hired uh lydia who who runs our, our trade group who's great and then we've hired uh, Melissa, who's running uh, trade in New York City now, which is which is great. Right, okay. and we'll be doing that in other major markets in the U.S. But um, similar to the direct consumer business, um, and we've learned over time, there is a real need for a better experience for interior designers, just like there is for consumers shopping for themselves. And so, if we can provide a more elevated shopping experience for them, and provide our really unique level of customization at this price point, it it really enhances what they're able to to bring to their customers or their clients. So uh, we'll continue to focus on that category. And and, and to your point, I think we found a couple of different um, kind of niches within that. There is the the interior designer who's shopping for a customer who has multiple rooms. And even if if they want to spend a lot of money on that living room sofa, it just is kind of a no-brainer for them to spec us in all the other rooms because it's custom, it's high quality, and right. they don't—they're not going to spend you know twelve thousand dollars on every sofa they purchase. Um, as well as the online design client, who uh, I think we're kind of just a perfect fit with. So yeah, yeah, it, it, it's interesting because this 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 model that you've built of creating these different guide shops where people can go not not excessively large as you say you know 2000 square feet or thereabouts uh, but but where they can see enough product that they can understand what it is you you make and and where's your where's your fabric coming from so you you've got lots of fabric choices and they're kind of all over the wall right in the guide shops and you can lay them down on the sofas correct so, so where's all that coming from so we source that all from our manufacturing region so okay um, as you know, you will find, I think if you go to uh, any number of brands, like a lot of the world's like best textiles are ultimately produced in China as right. well. And okay. so, so that's where it's coming from. Yeah. So we're, okay. we're, we're sourcing there and we have today about 70 options um, of our fabrics. Uh, many are very durable, um, if not commercial grade, like right against commercial grade. Right. So we have a lot of uh, kid and pet friendly options. But yeah, we source there, and we also, as part of our manufacturing process, uh, when we talk about inventory, that is one uh, thing we do manage is uh, the raw goods, like okay. uh, fabric, because that's so important when you think about kind of spikes and, and, and sales and making sure that we're able to support that and that doesn't increase lead time. So, so we manage that process really tightly as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because as we as we sort of look at the the design centers around the country and places where designers are are going to to look for so a, a higher end piece whatever it is uh it's c- can this model 
become a model for the for the trade world as easily as it has for the for the consumer world is sort of the question and can this model do you think work at a at an even higher end than you're doing now so you found this sweet spot at this fifteen hundred or two thousand dollar sofa level let's say could it could it work for the for the higher end piece or does the higher end piece get sort of degraded if there's this sort of online easy process do-it-yourself kind of feel to it what do, what do you think it's a good question i mean we um generally speaking are not selling to a lot of customers who are contemplating you know a versus b like what we're doing today versus that that really you know traditional kind of custom furniture uh you know whether that's like a workshop somewhere or uh, you know, a family-owned business somewhere, uh, you know, in, in one of the other regions. Um, so it, it's interesting. I mean, we do think it, it could be applicable to, to multiple levels. Um, you okay. know, today, through what we're doing, you know, we're, we're not uh, doing COM or customer's own material. So right. just given the complexities that adds to the supply chain in terms of, like, reverse logistics and, sure. and, and making sure that patterns are appropriately uh, you know, managed in terms of uh, upholstery, um, but it, it's it's something we certainly have our eye on, and uh, we now, in addition to trade, we we serve a lot of commercial uh, opportunities. So, people coming to us to uh, look at you know hotels or you know boutique hotels or even um, you know high end co living spaces who are looking to us because of the customization proposition, right? Who might otherwise be shopping the concepts you know, you mentioned. Um, so we do think this translates up, you know, into a higher level, but I think okay. ultimately we would have to think about, uh, you know, oftentimes that comes with uh, very specific fabric, uh, requirements often right. sourced by, uh, the designer or the, uh, the owner of that project. So that's, that's the one piece that we would figure out, but I, I think we're, we're pretty close to doing that. Interesting. And yeah, and, and so I see that you've hired a, a sort of a commercial sales director as, as well, Adam, if I remember. That's right. Right? Um, and yeah. so he's going out and, and you mentioned boutique hotels and sort of projects like that. Is yeah, that- so Adam is doing a great job of building relationships with developers of you know hotel properties and commercial properties and architecture firms who are specking pieces for both their um, common areas as well as even in the spaces themselves where right. people are living, both beds and, and sofas, and uh, we'll be introducing dining. So um, I think that will be a relevant category to that that channel as well, ultimately. Uh, but yeah, we see we see a big opportunity there too. And one that was coming into us organically over the first few years that we just didn't have the team to support. And now we do, which is exciting because, again, I think similar to designers and to consumers, um, this was a market that was kind of underserved. If you look at the main uh, commercial suppliers right. or, or uh, sellers. It's often kind of a blinded website. There's not much about the company. It's um, got kind of a generic look and feel. And then it's all about they're a broker with uh, a contract manufacturer um, mm-hmm. and don't really have a meaningful relationship there. So they have, to some degree, a little control over the finished product and how it's produced. Um, and oftentimes that... Uh, translates into graded quality of product. So the fact that we can tightly oversee that entire process like we do our consumer business has been really well received by that 
that category as well. So again, that that transparency and also that that connection to your your values and your brand resonates in that in that space as as well. And of course, and why wouldn't it, right? Yeah, and our our customization capabilities in terms of um, being able to go even uh, a step further in some cases for mm-hmm. unique projects, okay. um, given how closely we control the design and manufacturing process. Uh, you know, it's not something we, we lead with, but certainly something we can support for the right opportunity. So that right. has also been really well received. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, it, it certainly makes sense. So talk to me about scaling and, and, and you and I were talking a little bit about your, your company culture and, and the sort of the great people that you seem to have, have brought on who are really passionate about the company and, and the brand. And uh, other than you mentioned uh, the office in Chicago, you're being at max capacity right now and, sure. you're, and you're just about to move to a bigger space. I mean, literally, that was the only thing that any of your employees said negatively was that it was just too tight in the office. But but everyone on the team seems to be really committed to to what you're doing and, and the organization and they, they really believe in the future with your with your company how do you how do you scale and keep hiring people who are as bought in as your as your current team yeah it's a great question i wish i had the perfect (laughs) answer i mean it's something we definitely think a lot about and you know i think the things that have led to us having a really compelling uh passionate uh you know work culture uh, or team member culture is decisions that we made in the very early days about key hires and bringing in people who really shared our values in terms of, you know, uh, empathy and customer experience and how we've translated that into team member experience because we can't just say we want our customers to have this frictionless, like, very elevated, like, better shopping experience. Right. I think we have to reflect that with what we're doing with our team as well to pe- for people to really believe in that that way of thinking. And so I think we've effectively done that, but how do we do that at scale is what the ongoing challenge will be. I mean, yeah. one of the most, uh, you know, important hires in the early days was our, uh, who is now our COO and CFO, Jordan, uh, has been a, a great uh, partner to me in that process. Um, but we really think about the key hires and, and how they have We've built teams under them um, and, and continuing to imbue in, in the hiring managers what it means to represent the interior defined culture. And as people are bought into that, I think we continue to bring people on, on board who believe in our mission, but also believe in kind of the core values we stand for as a team. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think uh, you, you mentioned Glassdoor. It's interesting. Uh, not too long ago, one of our, our HR manager um Celia reviewed, I think it was one of Bonobo's glass door reviews, and we were talking about this. Um, I think it was, I might have the wrong person, but um, one of their reviews stated, you know, I'm passionate about this culture, but it's clear that everybody else is too, and it's almost like a club to get into. Like, oh. we all value it so tightly that we're going to screen for culture over and over again, and if you don't meet those criteria, like, we don't want to share this experience with you. Right. And, and I think that's a really like interesting way of stating um, how we feel about this, which is we want to be so protective of, you know, those values and how uh, each team member represents that. So we need to make sure we get those hires right. And if we don't get them right, we need to act on that uh, quicker than not. And fortunately, we've gotten it right 
uh, most of the time. So, um, it's gone, it's gone really well, but I think those early team members, um, create, help create this, the culture organically. And then it's a matter of like, how do we continue to, to effectively do that over time? And it's through the right hires. It's through setting up the right environment. And I think all sharing the same values that we apply toward our customers, toward our other team members. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that so much of, and I know you hired away a, a woman from, from Apple, if I recall, Marta, right? Who's That's sort right. Of, sort of your brand right. experience yeah. person. Yeah, uh, Marta started with us um, earlier this year, and exactly, she's leading uh, brand experience, which means a lot of things in, in a right. company like ours. Uh, but it's really about customer experience and then all of those different touch points that uh, a customer will come across the brand um, through. And that really does bleed into team culture to a certain extent because it's helping define, you know, how do we respond to somebody who didn't have uh, a perfect experience, uh, which we strive for every time. But when it goes wrong, like how do we react to that as a customer experience team? And how do we make sure that it's not just talking points, but we're actually doing the right things to make it clear to the customer that we, we truly do care about their experience. Right. And it's not, you know, I think, unfortunately, this cons- this customer uh, response uh, sequence has turned into, like, okay, if something goes wrong, let's, like, let's blast it out to the world. And I think that's great for transparency and it helps hold companies accountable. Sure. But it doesn't always give the companies the opportunity to fix it. Um, so we want to make sure that, uh, you know, we're fixing it before that even happens. So people feel like we are truly living up to our brand mission of, of, you know, empathy, but really caring about their experience more than anything else. Um, yeah. Even, you know, to a degree, even to like profitability, like w- we will make it right. And that's why we have a 365 day return policy, despite how much customization you decide to do to your core piece. Because we know that if we don't do that, like we have then just kind of ruined that customer's experience. If they if something went wrong and they need to return it, whether right. they mismeasured their space or it wasn't what they expected for whatever reason, like we're going to take it back because it's what we promised to do. So. Well, and, and that's that's really great. And as you said earlier, the, the employees have to feel that they're they're also getting that great experience with the organization and you can't just be offering that to the to the customers and it sounds like you really turn the lens around and make sure that you're looking at the at the staff who have to deliver that level of service to, to people and making sure that they feel good. I noticed that Marta had sort of jumped in various online sites. She kind of jumped in to communicate with customers who left feedback. So she's 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 clearly on it and, and is you know responding very much to to what the customers are saying yeah absolutely she works with um, our customer experience manager hannah and they are you know definitely on it the entire customer experience team but like we you know even as an executive team like i look at every net promoter score survey that we receive like religiously um, because i want to see what customers are saying to people what that is so that yeah so uh net promoter score nps is what uh a, a KPI that a lot of different uh, brands look at, consumer brands, right. uh, which is essentially uh, a, sur- a quick survey, uh, often one one question, basically, would you recommend us to a friend? And it's a one to nine scale, and then you get an aggregate score that demonstrates kind of how you stand compared to the category and compared to other consumer brands that you might look to as a reference point. And so we, we measure that score 
continually. Um, right. We send out uh, surveys to every customer who both after they purchase and after they receive their product so we can understand how both experiences went. And, uh, you know, we respond to those um, and we will even proactively, if somebody responds to one and it, the experience didn't go perfect, we, we want to know why if yeah. they didn't give us more information. So we, we look closely at that. And that's a true indicator, a kind of north star for us in terms of are we delivering on the mission we promised to deliver? And if that score is trending in the wrong direction or even flat, I mean, we want to continue to increase that over time we talk about it as a team and how we're going to, to turn it around. Um, and fortunately that is one of the core missions of the business that I think we all stand behind when mm-hmm. we do our all hands meetings, right? There is always a conversation about NPS, um, because we care so deeply about, uh, what that score is. Yeah. And, and that's where I think a lot of companies sort of lose their way or aren't, aren't focused enough on that and, and all the feedback. So I, I think it's great that you're staying so close to that customer. And, uh, and if you've, do see that number ever start to deviate, you're kind of right on it. Because I, I think that a lot of companies, and again, I'm going to go back to the high-end trade world, just because they're they're trying to figure it out. The, these disruptive companies, of which you are certainly one, are coming along and, and sort of changing their value proposition. Um, but many of the companies that are that are working with the trade can, can learn from the the value that you put on customer experience and how you follow people through the whole process. We were talking earlier about the lead time, eight to 10 weeks, whatever it is, you, you stay with that customer through the process, often giving them updates. And, and, you know, you and I were talking earlier, maybe you even worry sometimes, are we being too communicative with, with clients, you know, sort of along the way, I I think air on the side of staying with them is always sort of the, the way to go, but it's, the, the level of service that companies like yours are providing t- today, I think, is an example of what this new customer has come to expect and, and really and wants. And, and we can all sort of grow from, from that and, and look at our own organizations and say, you know, are we touching the customer in, in, in this way, in a meaningful way, every step of the process? Is our site as easy to use as it possibly could be? Um, because you have some people that are just going to leave your guide shop and, and go home and order it online, right? right. In, in fact, maybe that's even the majority of, of people. Although, as I think I mentioned to you, there were quite a few repeat customers in Soho when I was there this weekend, people who obviously loved having the human interaction. Um, but I'm sure there are many people who at midnight are at home in bed ordering their new sofa in the same way they're shopping on first dibs all the time, apparently. Right? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, so... I, th- I think one thing we've done uh, well as a team and uh, our sales team is led by um, L, who just has a, a great grasp for this uh, concept of customer experience and the, and the uh, design specialist process. And Emily, who you spent time with, um, is a great example of this. But uh, the same design specialists you speak to when you're in the guide shop are the same individuals who are answering uh, your text or email when you uh, contact the company if you have a question or, or a chat. Um, and so for us, that's, that's created this dynamic of um, a focus on consistency in terms of how we talk about the brand and how we help customers kind of regardless of where they're shopping. Right. But it also gives access to uh, experts about our products, kind of at whatever touch point you're, you're, you're at. So... We think that's incredibly important to what we're doing and has created uh, a really healthy um, 
sort of uh, feedback loop in the company as well, because everything that our design specialists are hearing in the guide shop or online during those chats is circling back to the product development team and to the CX and brand experience teams. Right. So we're constantly um, looking at how we can improve the, the overall experience. And because of that, too, I think we've set up the business in a way that, you know, being a design specialist in a guide shop is a really attractive position and one that we're not getting somebody who's, um, you know, just looking for a retail position, but somebody who's looking for a career um, because it's giving, it's, it's really providing this platform to to uh, really run um, a business in a sense on, on top of the interior defined platform and everybody's bought into this mission. And so we've done a really good job through, through, you know, L hiring the right individuals right. for the, for these roles, including our general managers of the guide shops, which is such an important role to the business. Um, you know, John, for instance, who runs uh, Soho is just so focused squarely on uh, customer experience and hiring the right people who, who reflect that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's really all about the good hires and, and often sort of regardless of what their, of what their background is. Uh, Emily has a hospitality background, which fits in so perfectly with the experience that you want to create in the, in the guide shops. So, you know, you can, you can teach someone the sofa product, but, but teaching them to use your word, teaching them how to be empathetic towards customers isn't something that's as easy to, to train. So completely agree. And I, I think that is also representative of the types of hires that we make that we don't look for necessarily traditional furniture retail experience. Um, while we do have individuals who, who came from that background who are doing an exceptional job, it's not necessarily the first place we look because we have found a formula and some pattern recognition around, uh, you know, the personality traits and uh, the representation of sort of personal values that, uh, we can see in the interview process um, mm. by the, the design specialists who do the best um, on the team. So, and, and the best we say not just in terms of sales, but in terms of uh, customer feedback. Because, right. uh, not probably not surprisingly, those uh, are really strongly correlated. Um, the people delivering the best customer experiences are often, you know, all the most productive on the team as well. Sure, sure, that makes sense. Um, so. We're getting near the end of our conversation, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the pressure that you must be feeling. You seem so cool and relaxed right now, but as we mentioned earlier, you just got another round of, of funding, your, your biggest round yet. And as you were sort of suggesting, what comes along with that is, is investor expectations. So... What are what are they looking for from from you, and and what where does this ultimately go for your investors to to be able to either cash out of their investment or sure, uh, you know in the short term by short term I mean you know years next several years okay. um, we are really squarely focused on uh, delivering on our brand promise and building. Uh, what we believe is going to be the next kind of iconic U.S.-based furniture brand, uh, but the first one that was built online uh, okay. in, the, in the beginning. So that is really what we're squarely focused on. Like we want to continue. We know when we uh, gain familiarity with a new market or with uh, individual customers that uh, the engagement rate and ultimate conversion rate is high. When people really understand the brand story and what we're capable of doing, and what you know what we deliver in terms of customization and quality and price point. 
and so you know our our number one goal is to help continue to build awareness um and so we are today uh you know our concentrations are probably not surprisingly um follow kind of the largest markets in the country like we are uh, a bit of an urban brand right now like uh, people in New York sure. and LA are sure. really resonate with our concept. Right. But we need to take Makes it sense. to the next level. And that's what we're focused on doing over the next, uh, you know, year or two. Um, and part of that is opening up additional guide shop locations. Um, okay. and so the reason we do that is, is not just to have retail productivity in those markets, which is important, obviously, right. but also just to help build brand awareness and better activate those markets. Because we know when somebody engages with the brand and then ultimately comes in the guide shop too, uh, that's a really great combination because they really understand the experience that we've built and uh, ultimately become customers a high percentage of the time. And so we'll open up in San Francisco next month, which will right. be our second sort of uh, largest lo- or expansion location outside of uh, New York. Uh, okay. So it'll be five locations, Chicago, New York, Austin, and LA uh, next month. Right. And then a second East Coast location coming in September, which we haven't quite announced yet. Okay. Okay. And, and so ultimately, can you, can you imagine having 20, 30, 30 guide shops around the country? I mean, could, how big do you want to get? Or how big do those investors want you to get? Yeah, well, to, to achieve that vision, I think, to really become an iconic brand, right. I mean, it requires a lot of brand awareness. It requires a lot of like, passionate consumers who have entered the brand. And we think that doesn't you know, require greater expansion. Um, we, we don't know the final answer to the number of guide shops that, that we'll have. I, I think that... You know, we're still, frankly, in the learning mode. I mean, despite the fact we'll have six by the end of this year, um, we're still figuring out how to best activate those locations in new markets and, and create the blueprint for how we both select a location then ultimately drive awareness for it. Right. Um, so far, we've been successful in doing that, which we're excited about. But um, we'll certainly open up more locations in the next two to three years. Um, the total number is... Uh, up in there is up in there a bit but uh, we could see that number is not out of the question are there brands that you look at that you say yeah I want to get to to there I want to I mean restoration hardware or or RH as it's as it's known to today sure multi-billion dollar brand could you could you see interior define being not that you have to serve food in all your locations and have wine bars and everything else but could you could you see yourself getting to that to that scale, to that level? This this market is so, so incredibly large. Right. And I, th- I still believe that even today, people are not as focused on uh, building a compelling customer experience as we are. Um, it, not to say we have you know, reinvented the category, but that's, that's really what our ultimate goal is uh, to do and really set a new benchmark for what uh, the furniture shopping experience should be. And I think we've built a great foundation to get there. And so, um, you know, we would love to be uh, a multi-billion dollar brand. We actually think right. the, the opportunity is there. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of hard work ahead of us, and uh, the, but also an equal amount of evergreen opportunity that we just haven't even tapped into yet. So I think our, our current growth rate um, is, is very promising. Um, and the team members that we're, we've brought in to help build this concept is right. also equally promising. So, so and, I've, and I've seen numbers. I don't know what your revenue numbers are now. But, and I don't, I mean, 
I know that the business has, has grown several hundred percent, it sounds like, in the past few years. Yeah, yeah. The past, uh, you know, we're on track to essentially triple the business uh, the third year in a row. Um, so we felt right? really good about that run rate. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and you and you think you can you can grow at that rate for for a few years to come? That's what you're hoping. Yeah, that's what we're hoping. I mean, clearly, um, you know, at at scale, um, when businesses are growing rapidly at certain uh, revenue uh, milestones, like it becomes harder to triple the business year over year, sure. but, but we feel great about doing it at our current, uh, revenue level. And, uh, I think it's a testament to the hard work that our team has, has put into our mission so far. Well, that, that's great. So, so next location is San Francisco and, uh, as yet to be determined East coast location that's coming soon as well. Yeah, we, we are so close that, you know, I can say, uh, Boston is is coming up this okay. fall, um, which we're very excited about. Another market that we have really demonstrated uh, resonates with our brand. Uh, the consumer base there is apt to focus on custom items and, and excited about the brand proposition we're delivering. So uh, we think it's going to be a really compelling market for us. I, that would totally make sense. I would think Boston would be a good market for you. And I, I look forward to seeing where else you, you pop up. Uh, I, I'm excited for you, and I, I wish you great success. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My guest has been Rob Royer, founder and CEO of Interior Define. Thank you again for joining us. The show is Business of Home, and I'm Dennis Scully. If you like what you hear, please feel free to subscribe and, most of all, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps to grow our audience. Thanks again to our sponsor and our producer. You can find us on editoratlarge.com or Facebook or Instagram. We'll see you next week.